0: This is Xane Anderson. Welcome to the Principal Podcast today. Today, I am thrilled to have Anna McLaughlin with me. Anna McLaughlin is a mother. She is also the chief encourager of the She Considers a Field movement. She's a, a building community here. I loved I'm i so grateful you're on the, the show today, Anna. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Xane. I'm so glad to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm a homeschooling mom to four. My kids are ages five to 11. And uh, kind of throughout my journey as a mother, I have been given a lot of gifts from the Lord, just lifting my head, helping me to serve my family and to serve the community better. So she considers a field is meant to be a conversation among women of all kind of ages and stages who are really looking to Uh, to serve their families first and their communities more fully and coming from a place of really receiving that, uh, that filled to overflowing from the Lord so that they can give that to others.
0: I love that. I love that. You know, one of the things that when I was looking through, we were trying to find a great, great person for our podcast here. And you had something on a profile that I saw that was our scars become our beauty marks. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I was a ra- I was raised in a well-intending but non-Christian home, and uh, we just. I had a rough road. I started out with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fears as a kid, and um, and then in my teen years, my dad was diagnosed with cancer uh, shortly after my parents divorce. and um, and then he went on to be paralyzed from the chemotherapy. It was an experimental trial, just kind of one in a one in a million shot of being put in a wheelchair from chemotherapy, and um, and by the time I hit my twenties, just the compounding effect of my own Mental health and my um, my just the arc of our family, my father's unintended absence. I was a bit of a train wreck, and just really, um, you know, had been a believer for a decade, but did not know how to function in relationships. Didn't know how to um, how to be a safe place for other people, and um, and the Lord just gave me this promise that these these challenges these trials even the self-inflicted ones are never wasted and that it's actually there's this beautiful verse in Isaiah I believe where it says like instead of the thorn bush the myrtle will will grow and I just grasped onto that promise like it was a lifeline that there is this new thing coming and that actually the new thing is birthed out of the um, the exact thing that we think is going to kill us like that's where the strength comes.
0: I love that. You know, I have a theory too, you know, that our pain, something, the the stuff that's hardest for us eventually becomes our superpower. And so when I read that and and that, that was your thought that this thing that's painful for you, if you can just trust that the Lord knows what he's doing, he can make it into something wonderful, something beautiful, something that you can't even imagine. And so when we're in the depths of that pain, have the trust to realize that he knows what he's doing. And uh, I really, really, really love that thought. Thank you for sharing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so true. And I have found, you know, it's like, if we believe that Romans eight twenty eight that he works everything together for our good, he would have given us another path, if that were the best way. So he knows how painful it is for us to go through these losses, through these broken hearts, through these, like, why, why is it this way? And yet, um, a friend of mine had a child in the NICU and she said at one point, she's like, what, what would people do if the church wasn't in the NICU? Like, she really felt it was her place of ministry that the Lord had put her there to struggle through that, to be a light for other people. I just never thought of it that way.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, it made me think of something too. C.S. Lewis has this quote and I don't have it in front of me right now, but it says something like, you thought you were going to be a little house, but all of a sudden things start happening where walls are being knocked down. What in the world's happening here? And what's happening is he's building a castle. He's running out of a courtyard here and a turret there. You thought you were going to be a tiny little cottage and he's making a castle and he intends to come and live it in himself. It's a great quote.
1: And, oh, and, so good. and,
0: and uh, you made me think of it as you said that. So, you know, you, the other thing you said, you said, you know, everything. So all things, he didn't say like half the things will work together for your good or (laughs) three-fourths. If you trust him, everything, even the stuff that doesn't make sense at the moment can work together for your good. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and like, let us not, uh, kind of waste our pain by just trying to put it in a little box is the thing that we don't ever want to open again or we don't ever want to revisit. Like, let's not just get through it. Let's have it become, um, like my dad, uh, somebody once said to him, your wheelchair is your pulpit. Like, this is actually the place from which you minister to others. And so what what a beautiful just gift from the Lord that actually not only is our pain not wasted, but it's actually the birth of the most beautiful thing that we can create. We don't have to run from it.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you, let me shift gears here for a little bit. Tell us about raising a family with a generational worldview.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is, this is one of my favorites. Uh, so I, um, you know, I wasn't raised in the church and I just remember I received a Bible from my very much kind of uh universalist type of tradition. Somehow I ended up with a Bible in my hands and at 10 years old, just devouring it and having the feeling of like coming home of I've always loved him. I just didn't know his name was very much the way it felt in my like uncovering of the Lord's goodness. And I went on years later to find a a little Bible that was my great grandmother's. Her name was Cora and she had, uh, she had signed a statement of faith and she had died tragically when my grandfather was kind of a, a young boy or, you know, teenager. And, um, I'd always thought, like, where did I come from? Why did I feel like I knew God when I wasn't raised in a Christian home? And finding that Bible, I was like, I'm Cora's spiritual daughter, like the Lord, the Lord left a little remnant in our family. And, you know, he's like, my dad came to be saved. And, um, and so it's, it like the, the, uh, the goodness of God is advancing, right. But um, I have, I, I had that moment as a child of just realizing I came from a lineage that I couldn't even see. We went on to name my daughter Cora as just a, a sign of gratitude to that lineage. And then um, someone spoke a word over me in my 20s. And he said, you're the point of redemption in your family line. And I have held on to that, you know, that was in my That was my crazy twenties, right? When I was just a mess and so, and in so much darkness and so much trouble, I was not married. I did not have a family, but I've held fast to that promise. And when you read the scriptures, like God is so deeply invested in the generations. Like it says in, um, I believe it's in Genesis. It says that God chose Abraham as the father of nations because of his, because of the type of father that he was, like actually he knew Abraham was going to be this wonderful father to Isaac, and that he could really entrust in Abraham this role of the father of of Israel. And then you know we see how often in um, in the line of Judah, how um, how God says, because of David, I'm going to allow this remnant to stay because of David. And it's like generations later. And we end up with Christ because of David. So I've really held on to that in my own family. Every time I can choose patience, every time I can choose joy, every time I can blow it big time and circle back to my children and ask for forgiveness, own my part, humble myself, turn towards the Lord, get on my face, that those choices don't don't end like I try to view them as the ripples in the pond that God told me they would be that it's not just this moment. It's not just tomorrow. It's forever.
0: I love that. I love that. As you were saying that, a thought came to mind and and this thought about generations that you're talking about here, you know, the the influence that you and I have in our homes and that the listeners here have in their homes will go on for much, much longer than we, than we suppose. I think it could go on forever, but I mean, as one example, and I think I've talked with you about this before, one example You know, I live in America. Well, why do I live in America? Because one of my ancestors hundreds of years ago, in fact, more than one of my ancestors decided to get in a boat from Europe and come to America. Well, that choice that they made centuries ago is still affecting me today. It affects my language. It affects my economic opportunities. It affects my religion. It affects um, all kinds of things. And it happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Now that's an obvious example, but, but the kind of things that you're talking about too—are we patient or not? Are we? Are we? Um, are we willing to to repent quickly when we blow it? Are we willing to say I'm sorry? Are we willing to? Are we? You know? Are we checked in? Are we on our phone all day long? Those kind of things really, really can ripple throughout the generations, just like you said, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a big deal. So I really yeah. appreciate you w- w- saying that. Thank let, you. Let me, let me ask you a question for, for, for mothers, for moms who have been struggling and they've tried all these different things to try to, you know, you've had your own struggles. You've shared a little bit here. What would you say?
1: Oh, uh, well, I, one of my favorite just passages in scripture is um, is the parable of the talents where it talks about, you know, these, these servants are left with these, um, you know, one talent, two talents and five talents. And, um, and then the master's gone for a long time and then they come back and the two and five talent guys have been able to double what they had. Um, And what, you know, what we know from looking at other places in the gospel is, um, you know, the kingdom of God grows like they call it yeast in bread, right? It's going to work through the dough. Um, things look like nothing for a really long time. My theory is that the, everything that has to do with the kingdom of God always grows exponentially. And the challenge with exponent, exponential growth is it looks a lot like zero for a really long time. So we start to feel defeated and we start to feel lost and like it's not working no matter what i try you know this this uh this area of challenge in my child this area of uh discipline that we're working through this issue with communication in our marriage my relationship with the lord my steadfastness um you know i try i fail i try i fail like god only needs a willing heart and if we if we are like um are like israel and we grab on and we say i am not right jacob who became israel and we grab onto god and we say i'm not letting go until you bless me i'm not letting go until i've seen your goodness i'm not letting go until i've seen your face i'm not letting go until i've seen these promises fulfilled it's going to happen and that's the power of having faith in a generational god is like may we lay down the scene you know this focus on the scene i've got to see results to trust that it's happening and may we just trust that like of course he wants his kingdom to come but he's not just going to like hand it out like a you know happy meal where we come up to the window and we get it right away he wants us to know him and that means being willing to show up and engage with him even when we're not getting the dispenser type of relationship where it's like, here's what I want. Here you go. You know, he wants us to love him no matter what, right? Like he loves us. And so long suffering is such an important part of growing in faith. And, um, The Lord asked me at one point in my walk, I was, I was doing some encouragement to mothers and he said, are you willing to show up for just one person? Yes, Lord, I'll show up for just one person. Sounds amazing. And he said, are you willing to show up if that one person is you? And I was like, Oh, (laughs) I don't know. You know, it's like, maybe not. But he brought me to the point where it's like, yes, even if it's, even if it's just the smallest of impacts, even if it's just the smallest of changes, are we willing to believe that there's something happening that we can't see that maybe won't even happen in our lifetime? But because we trust in the generational promises of God, that just my willingness to not let go of him, my willingness to continue to try, continue to fail, um, that that in and of itself will bear fruit. And in fact, like, and that's what I'm seeing. Like I'm 40 this year. Um, there are things I've been holding on to the Lord for, for two or three decades that have started to come to fulfillment where I'm like, oh my gosh, if you told me at the beginning that it would take 30 years, I might not have even bothered. But now that it's here, it's so amazing that like, I don't care that it took 30 years, you know? And so we just need to, we need that faith in the unseen.
0: And that perspective too, to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe it's a and and it's a challenge in our world today because people want instant results. You know, we're we're so used to mm-hmm. if I want to rent a movie, I can rent it instantly, right? On some some site, I could. If I want to do fast food, if I want to have it, like why can't I have things instantly? You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how we're, our culture trains us to think we need it now, we can get it now, everything should be available at my fingertips. But you're right, this this ability to say, you know what, this is a work in progress, and that my time frame is not. His time frame is different than my time frame, and be able to trust him with that. Yes, yes, I love that.
1: He loves working with 80 year olds. If you notice, like Abraham was 80, they're all like 80 or 100. So, hey, the best is yet to come.
0: (laughs) Eight eight decades of prep work before the real thing starts. Is that what you're saying? Sometimes, (laughs) right?
1: Be encouraged, everybody. Give it another 80 years. You got this.
0: (laughs) I like that. Tell us more about this. She considers a field, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, this, tell us more about that and, and, and how that ends up with stewardship and financial stewardship, Proverbs. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I was a I was a corporate lawyer before when my husband and I first got married and we started having children with this kind of vague idea of, oh, I'll stay home. You know, this will be great. I'll stay home. Um, But we were not financially prepared for me to stay home when I first started having kids, when my husband and I first started having children. And so there was this arc of just what does it look like to Make a home while I was working, and then how can I get home? Because I really, uh, for me, my or my, I feel like as women of God, our hearts are most at rest when they are oriented towards the home. When we really feel like we're stewarding the hearts of our husbands and our children. Um, and so we we got me home, and um, financial stewardship is a big part of that because I feel like there is there there can be a bit of a challenging um, conflict within women, where it's like, yes, I want to be home. How do I do that? We still got to eat. We still got to put food on the table. And so, I love talking about um, just you know what it looks like to save and invest wisely. And I feel like that's a part of equipping women to be able to orient outside um, outside of the workforce into the home. Um, and so, she considers a field was birthed out of me first coming home and then us realizing I do need, it's helpful for me to make some income. Um, if we didn't make that decision, then my husband would be working two jobs. We'd rarely see him. And it wasn't a life that we wanted for our family. I've really, I love when he's home. And so um, I was struggling, though, because a lot of the women that I was um, being mentored by and working with were home full time. And so I literally when I first left law, I didn't even go to the grocery store without my children because I felt like that wasn't being a good mom. They needed to be with me and with me only 24 um, seven. And if anybody you know, for those of you with small children at home, you know, that if you give your kids that that permission, like you don't even go to the bathroom by yourself anymore. You're just like always mom is always on point. And so um So finding that balance of what does it look like for me to work but be working in a way that honors my home first. Um, For me, that was not law. Um, So I've started a home-based business. I've done that for many years. And um, at the end of the day, when my family needs me, all the other things are secondary priorities and they, they go away. So I love talking to women about how to build that. I love talking to women about um, kind of the whole person. And and sorry, I should just say, if you don't know, she considers a field is from the chapter of Proverbs 31, or the portion of Proverbs 31, uh, verse 16, it says, she considers a field and she buys it. So as I was wrestling with this with the Lord, where it's like, does a good mom ever leave her children? Well, she's it's home first, Right. It's home first. It's home as primary, primary um, focus. And yet there's still a place in the marketplace when that role is in service of the home, when it really comes as a secondary overflow of the work that you do at home. And so, um, so I look at it as like home-oriented business. And so she considers a field is that conversation of how do you actually hold these two roles complementary where they're not in conflict with each other, but they actually work together of um, serving the family and actually and also serving the family through work. And then also I love resources. I mean, as someone who had mental health challenges, as someone raised in a non-Christian home and had to kind of learn what is healthy biblical, you know, child rearing and marriage look like. Um, As someone who is, is a homeschool mom, I have a lot of resources. And so um, most days in the community, I just share a resource. Sometimes we're talking about a book I've read. Sometimes we're talking about financial stewardship. Sometimes we're talking about mindset. uh, Sometimes we're talking about, you know, wellness stuff like iodine was the conversation last week. And so whatever bits and pieces the Lord has given me, that's what I provide for the ladies in that group.
0: I love that. I really do. I love the priority thing that you've said here too. Like, tell me about your priorities as you rank them in your head. Tell me what, tell me how how you think about your priorities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, God first, and I think scripture is really going to back me up on this one. God first, husband second, children third, and then others. And so, and I, I call it hierarchy of covenants. And one of the things that the Lord taught me um, as I was working through having a healthy family structure was if any lower order covenant is kind of infringing upon a higher order covenant, there needs to be a boundary in place. And this is really where we need to be coming before the Lord on a regular basis, because if you'll notice kind of the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of the, of the uh, loud, so to speak, oftentimes the things that are loudest in our lives clamoring for our attention are inverted, are an in inverted order. You know, the, the others are always coming to us with a need and then our children, and then our husbands, you know, typically far less, you know, uh, what's the word pushy or whatever, than the kids are going to be. And then God's never going to pound down your door and say, you have to spend time with me. So it requires discipline on our parts to, to get true, proper ordering of affections to say, actually kids, you're going to bed at eight o'clock tonight because mommy and daddy need to have some time together. We need to be able to sit and talk and relax and enjoy being married. You know, this partnership, this oneness that we have, it takes intention. It takes um, it takes real clarity for our children to just say you are you are not the, you're not the most important relationship, and that creates security for them to go. Actually, I have my place, and it's a good place. It's under the covering of mommy and daddy as one.
0: Right. And it actually helps them feel more secure. I mean, I get tingles as you say that it's okay. In fact, it models for them when they have a marriage that they can say, you know what, it's, it's okay for mom and dad or dad, mom and I to, to have this time to build our relationship. Kids are obviously so important, but to put your marriage and relationship first, I love this priority kind of thinking, you know, a wise man said no success can compensate for failure in the home. You know what I mean? You can go out and conquer the world, but really, that that success isn't going to make up for anything in the home. And something else you said, you know, I'm a dad, so I have to see this from a slightly different angle. But you know, one of the things that has hit me is, you know, I work outside the home, and my I try to be home as much as I can. I've, I've chosen jobs mm-hmm. where I can do a lot of my work from home. Yeah. Um, but my wife is stays home. I hope that she's also very good at considering a field. You know, and mm-hmm. it, it helps so many ways with our business and everything. But the thing is, as I think about it, I feel like she has the main job. And so it's not that I go to my wife stays home so I can go to work. That's not it at all. That's backwards. Mm-hmm. I actually go to work so that my wife can do the most important job we have, which is raising our children. That's that's mm-hmm. the main job we're both involved in. Yes. And I have kind of this auxiliary role to like help provide for the family so that my wife can do the main job, right? It's not I have a job and I sort of raise kids on the side. It's raising my family is my main job and mm-hmm. I have a I have a side job to support that. Yes. Uh, and yeah. I kind of like I like that thought, you know what I'm saying?
1: Uh-huh. Um, I love that. Um, well, and that she couldn't do her work if you were not providing that covering and protection. It's such a huge part of what um what the husband and father does. It's just creating that, that safe space.
0: I love that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been great having you on the podcast. Is there anything else that you feel like our viewers should know? I mean, I, there's so many questions I could ask, but is there anything you feel that our listeners should know, um, that can help them? Probably
1: 100. Uh, oh, a hundred things. Right. But I mean, I just, you know, that, I just keep thinking be faithful with little right may we be faithful Mm -hmm. with little and so if you're sitting there and you feel like you've only got a little faith you've only got a little time you've only got a little money you've only got a little health whatever whatever it is we have this choice before us every day to look at the little and say what's the point or to say I'm going to blow on this ember And I'm going to ask, really, it's God's breath, right? I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Lord to blow on this ember and to make of it what he will and to love, to love the little that it feels like you're holding in your hands until it becomes so huge that you don't care that it's big or small because you're endeavoring to glorify the Lord with it. And so like, I think there's such a temptation in our culture to look out and compare and then feel this sense of discouragement. And truly he's not asking us, you know, it's like going back to the parable of the talents, the blessing was the same on the man who was first given five and on the man who was first given two, right? They were both told, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And so God was not concerned with, oh, well the five one did better because look now, now I've got 10 talents from him instead of just the five. And I've only got four talents from this other guy they got equal blessing, and they were equally honored for their role. And so um, really, the the fault was in the one who had one talent who thought it didn't really matter. And who actually the reason he thought it didn't matter was because he saw the Lord as as like a, a, um, a hard man, I believe is what he called him. Mm-hmm. And so um, the other two felt safe in the in the protection and in the care of the master to go out and risk it right to go out and say i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sow what i've got i'm gonna i'm gonna pour out what i've been given and i'm going to trust that there will be more that comes back by that act of faith and so i would just encourage your listeners to trust that what they have in their hands matters and that god can use it for very powerful things in the kingdom
0: i really really like that so let me ask you one more question because I can't, if, if you, what would you say to someone who, you know, you said many years ago, you felt like you had this struggle. What would you say to someone who's in that same struggle now? And maybe you've yeah. just already said it.
1: Yeah. Uh, there, there is one place to go and it's the throne of God. Um, when I was in my darkest days, I was, um, I was at an internship by my, in a city by myself, a city I'd never lived in by myself. I was in law school. Um, I was, I had, um, I, I believe I'd already had my other internship. So I basically had a job offer for the next year. So it's like, I'm done. I'm in my twenties. I know where I'm going to work. It'll be great. I you know, like everything's going to be fine. And yet my inward heart was so broken that I spent that whole month and a half that I was there just laying in bed and asking the Lord to take my life. Like it was just this deep, dark, sadness. And I was kind of at a crisis of faith of like, I don't know if you exist anymore. And I had one prayer and one prayer only that I could grab hold of, which was Lord, fall me back in love with you again. If you are real, fall me back in love with you. And that was all the faith that I had. And for him to take someone at basically, I felt like I was below sea, sea level. Like I was as low as, as I could go. Um, and you know, just the only thing keeping me from taking my life was just this conviction that I shouldn't do that, and that was it. That's all I had. Um, but I had that prayer, "Fall me back in love with you." And I just, um, it has been 16 years since that time, and brick by brick, He's done that. And I can't, I, I didn't give up, and so I can say that. But even that was by His grace. So I don't know that I brought anything to the table outside of that one prayer, and He did the work from there. And that's the thing is like, he's our dad. Like this isn't some kind of man up in the sky. He came down as a baby in like all the mess and filth and poverty and brokenness and political upheaval that was the Roman empire at the time. And he did that so that he could he could, um, be, like, be like us, but not like us, right? Like he did it, he experienced it all. And so he loves us enough to humble himself to death. He's going to answer prayers like that. You're not lost. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly how to rebuild the brokenness in your soul. And all you need to do is just ask him and give him the time to do the work because he's a gentleman. He's not going to just remake you in a day. You'd feel completely lost and unmoored. He's going to do it brick by brick and stone by stone so that it's a strong foundation with Christ as the cornerstone.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Anna. I really appreciate it. So how can people reach you?
1: So I'm on all the places. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And if you go to either one of those, you'll find, and I'm sure the link in the show notes as well. um, If you're a woman, that's all you need to be is just a woman who loves Jesus or wants to hang out with people who love Jesus. I would love to have you in the, she considers a field community as well. And you can find the link for that as well.
0: Anna, thank you so much. We'll put that link in the show notes if you want to look for that. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor to have you. It's been wonderful. We'll go from there. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Exie. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening.